Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio William Geimer, who is an author, a peace activist, a veteran of the U.S. 82nd Airborne Division, and a professor of law emeritus at Washington and Lee University. After resigning his commission in opposition to the war on Vietnam, he represented conscientious objectors and advised peace groups near Fort Bragg, North Carolina. A Canadian citizen, he lives with his wife near Victoria, British Columbia, where he is a member of the Vancouver Island Peace and Disarmament Network. He's the author of Canada, The Case for Staying Out of Other People's Wars, which I highly recommend, and he serves as advisor on policy issues of peace and war to Elizabeth May, member of parliament and leader of the Green Party of Canada. Bill Geimer, welcome back to Talk Nation Radio. It's great to be back, and it's uh, it's great to hear that, uh, that the World Beyond War is going to have its conference in Canada this year. We are very pleased about that. Uh, we are as well. We're looking forward to it and to having you speak there. Um, our, our annual conference will be September 21st and 22nd in Toronto, and people can go to worldbeyondwar.org and sign up. Um, uh, first of all, I, I, I need to ask you on behalf of President Donald Trump, are the Canadians at all sorry yet for having burned down the White House? Uh, the expressions of regret are very few and far between, as far as I can tell. Uh, in this morning's uh, newspaper, there still are newspaper. On the other hand, there was a letter to the editor signed by six Americans uh, apologizing for Mr. Trump. Very good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I think that I, I think uh, given the number of times the United States has invaded Canada and what kind of influence it's been on Canada, the apologies should perhaps weigh more that way than the other. Um, what, what do you, in, in terms of what you plan on speaking about at, at our conference in September, uh, Canadian war making? What do you think the world? should most know about Canadian involvement in, in making war? Well, there are uh, implications for the U.S., of course, if it ever begins to, uh, to lose uh, allies uh, in its uh, uh, you know, post-World War II colonial uh, effort to dominate the world. Uh, with its uh, 800 or so base, military bases and so forth. The U.S. can't do it alone, and I spent last year uh, going around Canada uh, uh, preaching, <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, that Canada could and should get free, uh, begin to get free of the U.S. militarily, uh, and that this was exactly the time to do it. And, and that message has really gotten stronger, given what's happened, uh, uh, what's happened this year. And so I'll be talking briefly about uh, how the story of Canada's involvement in, in uh, wars that are directed, uh, certainly in the, in the last uh, few decades by the U.S., uh, are absolutely... Uh, not Canada's uh, responsibility. It's clearly somebody else's war, and some idea of how we might begin to take steps to get free. And that's what actually started me. I'm, I'm uh, uh, giving a talk now on a subject that 
that is not front page news. It's not the uh, uh, the all Trump all the time, and it's not even about uh, about wars, but it's about another aspect of the U.S. Uh, effort uh, to draw Canada and other countries uh, into assisting it in its uh, uh, quest for domination, and that is the perversion of peacekeeping. Uh, it's it's a matter that is uh, more on the hearts of uh, and minds of Canadians than U.S. Uh, for sure, uh, but uh, and it is in danger of being co-opted uh, by by the U.S. Uh, and uh, happy to talk about any aspect of that. Yeah, let's but... let's back up and and give people an overview because I'm sure I'm going to agree with you that it is a perverse project. I'm not sure I'm going to agree with you that there's such a thing as unperverted peacekeeping. So tell <laughs> tell us what that would be. What what is the pure well, unperverted? I, form? I know that we have uh, that we have a uh, a respectful. Uh, we are not 100 percent ad item on all of this, and I and I do respect that. And in fact. I want to point out that that I will I strongly endorse uh, nonviolent humanitarian interventions in conflict zones, and and I point my audiences to sources that show that it really works better than peacekeeping with a military component. Right. But I am I'm dealing with the world the way it is today, and with an existential threat that Canadians will once again be deceived by the U.S. according to a formula that, that is, has been established in the past uh, and drawn into combat all the while thinking that they're going to peacekeeping. Uh, and so uh, I am outlining a vision for humanitarian peacekeeping with a military uh, component. I have uh, serious doubts as to whether uh, my requirements for such a uh, such a peacekeeping venture uh, could be will be met, and that could therefore recommend that Canada sign on to uh, uh, to such a mission. Uh, but I am absolutely certain uh, that the upcoming uh, return, supposed return to peacekeeping by Canada uh, with a small a mission to Mali, uh, is not peacekeeping. Uh, it is war making by another name, and Canadians are being drawn into it with exactly the same formula that was used uh, to draw them into combat in Afghanistan, for example, right. uh, and, in, and in other instances. So, so uh, fair enough that you raised that early because I do understand uh, that uh, uh, that uh, I don't believe you see a way for peacekeeping to be done with a military component at all, uh, but that's what's on the table, uh, and people ought to know that uh, whatever's on the table today, whatever it is, it ain't peacekeeping. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, Canada is out of Afghanistan at this point, right? Uh, the U.S. said that it was okay to leave uh, a couple of years ago. If they need us again, I'm sure that uh, that we will uh, we'll go back. But it was, uh, and, and it's it's funny that uh, you know Afghan people here say, "Well, we went to war in Afghanistan. What's that got to do with peacekeeping?" Well, uh, we were lured into Afghanistan, being told that we were there to do uh, uh, peacekeeping work. 
humanitarian assistance, and in the words of the prime minister, then we certainly don't want to get in any fights there. But uh, so step one of the formula for getting us in is to appeal to who we Canadians think we are. We think we're humanitarian, peace-loving people. Uh, the second step then involves the uh, uh, the tremendous uh, integration of the Canadian upper military hierarchy with the U.S. generals, and there, this time by outside out, outright deceit in Afghanistan, uh, the generals uh, persuaded the government to move us from uh, something that had some at least semblance of peacekeeping in Kabul to being one of only two uh, U.S. allies to do actual combat in Afghanistan so that the U.S. could be free for its illegal war on Iraq. So the military influence is step two. Uh, step three is to justify uh, what's being done with propaganda. And, and, and in uh, Canada, for the most part, uh, the theme was we were in Afghanistan to help women and uh, and build schools uh, and so that little girls could go to school. And in fact, we have a beautiful Afghanistan memorial here in Victoria that shows just that, a soldier with a, a, a little girl holding his hands uh, and walking, uh, walking away to school. Uh, unfortunately, that's very nice, but it's not the truth. So that's the three-part uh, formula that yeah. uh, that uh, doesn't make any use of Canada's contribution, very real contribution to peacekeeping in the past, uh, and simply uh, moves us toward uh, becoming a U.S. ally in a in a war, in a civil war, and that's exactly what's happening in Mali. Uh, and what if what if Canada had said to the United States and NATO, we would be glad to send people to do humanitarian aid work and school construction and education in Afghanistan. In fact, we'll send people armed and trained and prepared with construction tools and teaching degrees and humanitarian aid expertise. And if you want people who've been trained and armed and bringing weapons of mass uh, death and destruction, well, then you'll have to come back and ask for those. That's a different kind of people to ask. In other words, why send soldiers taught to do nothing but kill and armed with guns to go and do aid work and build schools? It It doesn't seem to make much sense to me. Well, it didn't. It, 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 that's because it doesn't make any sense. But uh, in answer to the question, that would entirely depend upon what the U.S. saw, the U.S. saw as its interest. And they've been very clear and very open about that. And there are time, have been times, and there will be times, uh, when uh, they may make just such a, uh, a request. But in Afghanistan, they very much wanted to free up uh, their troops to go make war in Iraq. So uh, they uh, used, uh, uh, and in fact, the Canadian defense minister at one point was very open about it. He said, uh, you know, we didn't send troops to Iraq. Uh, we, we didn't sign on to the anti-ballistic missile thing. There's only so many times we can say no to the U.S. Right now, all we have to, or the only flag we have to wave is Afghanistan. We're offside on everything else. We have to do what the U.S. asks. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not a raging nationalist, but that's embarrassing. 
I think, for a sovereign country to say, well, you know, we've told them, we, we can't tell them no uh, another time. We have to send people to die in Afghanistan, and we have to send them under a false flag. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Bill Geimer, William Geimer, whose books include Canada, the case for staying out of other people's war- wars. So uh, you you started to talk about the case of, of Mali, and, and you used the phrase yeah. existential threat. Is Was that because Canadians well, the, believe Mali is going to destroy Canada? Or? No, no, not the threat uh, of Mali. The threat is that the U.S. will use this very same formula that I've outlined to pervert the language of uh, of peacekeeping. For example, I heard the uh, the parliamentary secretary uh, to the uh, uh, to the defense minister uh, when asked about peacekeeping. The example he pointed to was advisors to the Iraqi military in in, uh, in that conflict, and he called them warrior diplomats. So this is this is the beginning. Uh, this is step one of the uh, of the uh, uh, of the formula, uh, and that is appealing to who we think we are, and uh, and uh, the commitment in in Mali that that's the existential threat. That once again we're going to start out small as we always do. This commitment is uh, uh, relatively small in military terms, uh, and then uh, and it's going to be under the guise of uh, doing good things, and then it's going to be. Uh, basically, intervention in a civil war on behalf of the side that the U.S. has chosen uh, through its chain of command. And I did want to mention that what becomes apparent in this, and even more apparent in Mali, but in all these things, is uh, the chain of command goes this way. At the top is the U.S. NATO is the military arm of the U.S. uh, And the Western nations dominated by the U.S. Uh, make up that anachronism known as the uh, as the Security Council of the United Nations. So, if the United Na- if the U.S. decides that there ought to be intervention uh, on one side of a civil war, uh, then the Supreme the uh, uh, Security Council authorizes uh, uh, peacekeeping in this case by. Uh, uses that name and opens the door to anyone that wants to help enforce some sort of an agreement. Uh, And NATO steps up and says, we'll do it. Uh, And Canada is a member of NATO. And the next thing you know, uh, the formula is underway. Yeah. Canada Canada is a member of NATO. It's not signed the new nuclear uh, new treaty banning possession of nuclear weapons. Uh, no, we it's... have a very interesting campaign going on that. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because uh, the we're very aware, many of us here, of the of the history and and uh, the reluctance to sign on to this very important treaty. And so we have, there's a campaign underway that, uh, uh, that if Canada won't sign it now, and many people think Canada will come around and sign, many people in my, in, in my orbit, I don't know about that. But there is a campaign on to have people uh, uh, sign the treaty. We actually bring around a copy of the treaty, uh, and at groups, at gatherings, uh, people are able to say, if the government won't sign the treaty, we will sign it symbolically ourselves. And so we've collected, I've been involved in that, we've collected thousands of signatures on this treaty uh, to demonstrate that Canadians support it. 
whether the government does or not. Yeah, and, and hopefully with the end result of getting the government to support it. Yes, exactly. Um, it, it, it seems like Canada is... I'm not sure about this. This just occurs to me. But it seems that if you look at the size of Canada in relation to the world in terms of dealing weaponry to other countries and in terms of spending its own money on militarism, buying U.S. weapons and others, uh, it's it's probably uh, more involved in militarism compared to how many wars it's actually involved in than any other country. I mean, that is, countries like the United States spend a lot more, but they got eight, nine wars going at any time. You know, Canada's Canada's got a few soldiers in, in Mali, but it's spending $20 billion preparing for wars every year. Um, it seems like that... Uh, that can't hold. Uh, I mean, is there? Well, I certainly hope that it won't hold. And and and, and it, it's very true. The, the the phrase here in Canada is punching above your weight. And sadly, uh, Canada punches above its weight when it comes to being an arms merchant, uh, and uh, and having uh, plans for an escalating uh, military. Uh, our military budget is minuscule compared to the obscenity that prevails in the United States right now. But it is, proportionally, it is way too much and going up. And meanwhile, the biggest threat to the planet, uh, the environment, has that money has stayed flat in the Canadian budget. Uh, but it's, I, I'm not really sure why we are. It, it, it's really just in, indifference and not being informed, I think, because... And the same can be said, obviously, of the U.S. I mean, you have this massive, bloated military that's costing people money and people are scraping around for basic necessities. Uh, in both of our countries, school teachers are using their own funds to go out and buy basic materials while uh, the, the war material just continues. And I'm not sure about that, why Canadians can't see that. It's probably some of the same reason that we, we export uh, raw materials, uh, uh, rather than, uh, rather than finish them. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I really don't have an answer for that, except that maybe we've just been aligned with the U.S. for so long, we just have that blind U.S. mindset about defense budgets and weaponry. Well, we don't call it defense, although people in Washington, D.C. do. Uh, the, no, the, no, it is uh, definitely. A, it, it hasn't been that long since it was called the War Department, and it should be called that. And 1947. Uh, the, as you note, the United States is, is off the charts worse than anywhere else in terms of weapons dealing and, and military spending. Um, but we do have activist movements in the United States that focus on the budget that gets cities and the U.S. Conference of Mayors every year and some states to tell Congress to take the money out of militarism and, and put it into useful things. Uh, they never listen. Um, is that a focus of, of activism in Canada? Well, it is, it is certainly a focus in activism. And I think to be, I don't know whether it's a, to be fair to us, maybe, I think, because I've been a Canadian for many years now, uh, you have the excesses of the United States may well be one of the factors that mobilizes uh, people more. Uh, here in, in Canada, uh, people are not even aware of, of the extent of our uh, involvement in uh, in violence and war making, and there's a whole myth of how we are polite, uh, well-meaning, uh, 
you know, we're just concerned about, you know, the the next hockey round of playoffs and stuff like that. And so it's a hard thing to get through. But as I traveled last year with the book and continue to work this year, and stay, I'm, tra- I'm still traveling this, not as much, I really am impressed by the dedication of the peace movement here. It is growing. It's one of the reasons I'm enthusiastic and grateful for uh, the conference in, uh, uh, in Toronto. And not all of us uh, have gray hair like I do. We have, in, in my group, Vancouver Island Peace Disarmament Network, we have some absolutely fantastic young people. Uh, and so uh, I think that, perversely, I hate to use that word again, as the U.S. continues to go more and more off the rails, that we will be better able to alert Canadians to what is happening. I certainly hope so. It would be good to have some silver linings to all our disasters. Um, what about, I mean, it's not just war making, but weapons dealing. Are, are there efforts in Canada to stop the, the foreign arms trade uh, and to divest money from uh, profiting from, from arms dealing? Uh, not really to speak of, to tell you the truth. And I think it is a, it is a matter of, of priorities. Uh, within the peace movement here, uh, the nuclear threat is a very, very big item, and, and you can't argue with that because uh, if, if if that goes off the rail by accident or misadventure or, or uh, mentally challenged people, then all the other issues are off the table. Uh, the matter of involvement in other people's wars, I'm happy to say, is beginning to be something that folks are 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 taking account of. But where the weapons trade might come in as a priority somewhere uh, still important, but down the line, if Canadians are concerned about anything uh, broadly, it is environment. Uh, we are losing, you know, uh, we're losing the most beautiful place on earth. Yeah, uh, and uh, we are not. We in Canada are not doing nearly enough, but we're doing something. And south of the border, they're just ignoring it. In in the United States, people uh, who are engaged and active think of environmentalism and the peace movement as two separate issues unrelated to each other. They absolutely uh, yet, are not. A good colleague of mine is, is a scholar, uh, a young woman, brilliant young woman, Tamara Lawrence, who will be on a panel with me at the conference, Indeed, uh, has pointed out the relationship between militarism and the environment, and, and uh, I don't know what else she's doing besides uh, this panel, uh, the first thing, but whatever she's doing, go listen to her. She's brilliant, and she's got the evidence that we cannot solve, really make a dent in the environmental issue unless we link it with militarism. Well, it's where the money's going, and at least by numerous measures in the United States, the militarism is the single biggest destroyer of the environment. So it's not yes. just that we're losing the money to that item in the budget. It's that, that yeah. it's anti-environmental. It's the biggest destroyer of earth, water, air, climate. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems that that Canada needs a, a major environmental movement, has great environmental groups. Uh, I'm just not clear that they 
that they recognize the problem of militarism much more than in the United States, where it's... They don't just, yet, but we're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really, with people like Tamara, we're really right. working on it. She opened my eyes with with uh, uh, with not, not just budget things, <clears throat> but with... Uh, for example, the Canadian military is exempt from environmental laws. Yeah, they can. They can as as is the they U.S. can and do pollute all they want to, uh, and Canadians don't know that. So it's our job, painful as it is, to try day by day to make them know that. Some Canadians know it, and and some Canadian indigenous nations know it. We're going to have some speakers at the conference as well on the on the cruelty of of the Canadian government towards indigenous nations, which seems to know no bounds and and no end. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that that <clears throat> that that is a part of the conference because it's a growing uh, that awareness is spinning off. Uh, first, it's a matter of basic justice to begin with, but it's also giving us, uh, you know, not only reconciling uh, with the European folks, but also giving us uh, allies to work together on a, on a number of issues. I'm I'm extremely uh, grateful for that because my next in my next writing project, I'm looking into my First Nations ancestor who was a last chief of the Choctaws east of Mississippi. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, we will look forward to reading that book and talking about it. Um, what, uh, it, you know, it, it seems sort of selfish in the United States, the heart of militarism in the world, to be asking other people to do things, but it would be it would be great if the Canadians could drag the United States in, in the right direction. I mean, the Canadians have done great things on, on yeah. landmines and other weapons. If, if Canada were to join the Treaty on Nuclear Weapons or, or, or otherwise take steps toward peace, uh, you know, how can, how can peace activists in Canada and the United States work together uh, to well, accomplish more? Well, one of the things, and I, I'm, I'm looking for, actually, I've been looking over the program, and, 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 uh, and I think that's going to be taken up, and I'm very much interested uh, uh, in that. I do think that uh, it will be a shock if Canada, it will be a shock to the U.S. if Canada takes any meaningful step to disassociate itself. Uh, I have a, a plan, for example, a proposal that I will probably put forward at the Green Party Convention uh, for uh, not just issuing a statement that Canada needs to get out of NATO, but convening uh, a meeting of NATO under Article 12 of, of the Charter uh, and proposing one, that Canada, that NATO conform to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, two, that it commit to uh, abandoning non-defensive wars, and that if those things are not done within X amount of time, Canada will then uh, consider withdrawing from NATO. That's the way I look at you know, a process. I want Canada out of NATO. NATO is the is, as I said, is the military arm of the international military arm of the U.S. But I don't see much hope in just continuing to issue statements. I think we need to work out a plan, and I'm very much looking forward to learning uh, in September how we might do things like that. And if we ever do something like that, the shock to the U.S. 
will perhaps lead the U.S. to begin to listen, not just to Canada, but to the rest of the world. You know, there's some pretty decent ideas out there. Uh, <laughs> That's an excellent point. Uh, I wish we could uh, go on another hour talking about some of them or running out of time. Uh, William Geimer, uh, his book that I highly recommend to you is called Canada, the Case for Staying Out of Other People's Wars. Bill Geimer will be speaking at the World Beyond War Conference in September in Toronto. Uh, learn more and sign up to attend at worldbeyondwar.org. Uh, Bill Geimer, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. It's a great pleasure, David. I look forward to seeing you in September. Me too. Thanks. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.